That's your t-shirt now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. All right, awesome, awesome. Super pumped to have Aaron and Mike Blevins. First question, Mike, how do you take your coffee? Um, man, this is kind of a bitch thing, but I, I like milk in my coffee. Okay. So, and you know, I'm a flat white person, mm-hmm. but if I do have pour over, I still put milk in it. There's something about, it's like ice and whiskey. It's like, there's something that dilutes it that I think gives it a different pla- flavor profile. Okay. Fair enough. But I'll do black if it's a good pour over. Okay. Got it. Actually, did you know that the coffee business is actually pretty much the milk business? I mean, when you think about lattes and all the different yeah. drinks, yeah, tons. They're, they're probably equal volume. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never thought about it like that, but was, that does make sense. I had this conversation with uh, a teacher actually mm-hmm. on the way here. She's like, oh, you know, I had to stay off a of coffee, and uh, um, my stomach was upset, so my doctor said cut out coffee. But I have lattes. Turns out she's lactose intolerant. It's a very <laughs> not a good doctor. <laughs> this is the this happened all the time when we'd be on jobs and people would ask like, well, can I have coffee on a diet? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, hold on. What do you mean by coffee? And they'd be like, essentially, most people are drinking, you know, milkshakes. Yeah. Right. That's different. It's like, okay, get rid of that. You know, if there's a quarter cup of syrup and, you know, a cup of a whole milk, that's a milkshake. It is a milkshake. It's different. There's some calories in there. Delicious. Amazing. Yeah. You can have coffee. There's two calories in it or something like that. You get the effect. You just don't get the pleasure of the milkshake. Actually, we'll circle back to that in fasting. Fat burner. Yeah. 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 I should, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. That was rude. Ladies, go first. <laughs> <laughs> that was I like up. flat whites. Okay. Flat whites. Wait, same question. Same question. How do you take your coffee? <laughs> uh, flat whites or um, half and half whipping cream. Yeah. Mm. Breve. Yeah. <laughs> no, I won't go that deep. Um, I, I'll usually do like pour over with half and half. Okay. So, yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about before you talk a little bit about yourselves is that workout this morning. So, oh. Aaron's like, hey, come on by. Let's do a workout before the podcast. And I thought, that's cool. Let's do that. <laughs> that's a bad idea. I'm a little jittery. So if you'd carry the conversation for me. <laughs> sure. We'll take it from here. I, to be fair, you came in on a, a rough day. Do you want to say something? That was a good one. I, to be fair, like, I'm the, the machines favor light people. Well, no, yeah. they favor heavy people. But if you're doing a body weight for time, like I'm 140, I rounded up. The hard so, part, I think. I'm going to get done quick. Yeah. I think the hard part with like when people come in, when we're like, I'll come and train. A lot of people forget that. Um, although we do some group training as a private training, Mm -hmm. what we're known for is usually training that elicits a certain psychological response. Okay. So when we put it together, it's usually done on the day. We see who's there, what abilities are there and what would work for pretty much. Restrictions. Yeah. Injury restrictions. And what would reinforce the habits that we want people to have and what would punish the ones that we want to get rid of. Okay. And so there's, there's, you know, some technical work we did, like correcting body movement patterns, Mm -hmm. which is kind of for everybody. That'll be a third to half of the class. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it is spent trying to manipulate the psychology, how to get to somebody to a point in a training session where they want to stop, right? We want we want the response to be, man, this sucks. How can I get this over with as fast as possible? It took me three minutes. <laughs> three minutes in. The three push-ups. Minutes. I'm good. Fair enough. I, and that's what, uh, there's no secret about, tr- 
training, it's just ours is different generally because we're looking for a psychological model. One that really gets you to the quit, don't quit conversation. Mm-hmm. The reason why like the style of training that we did this morning or or the structure of the workout that we did is as soon as you're like, oh, okay, the, here's a cash in, cash out. Like I can get through this. I'm, you know, four minutes in. And then you start the every two minutes on the minute at a rep. And you can you can explain what the workout was in a second. Yeah. But uh, there's a failure component where you get five rounds in and you're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to finish all of these rounds in two minutes to get back to my machine. It didn't equip to finish my, yeah. And so the whiteboard, I was like, "Um, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So there's a, there's a component in there that's already a failure component. Like I'm not going to get this done. Yeah. Um, You got to see how it feels halfway through. And that's a really, I mean, that's an interesting concept for us to always explore, especially her being like a competitive athlete. Um, You're making these negotiations usually involved with other competitors, right? Mm-hmm. If they're ahead of me, but I'm in second or third, do I push? Do I not push? Do I conserve for the next thing? Or if I'm winning, how do I conserve? And so we're, we're looking for the same effect in a workout where essentially, uh, let's say you're going to lose in a competition. Like you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your behavioral trait? Do I just give up? Because most people, when they, when they get past, they slow down. When they, when they find out that they're not going to win, they slow down. And we kind of want to overwrite that inclination by programming it into our work. So this is the style workout we did today is called an accumulation. Okay. Uh, essentially the work requirements every two minutes get greater and greater and greater um, w- with a level of work that needs to be accomplished. So you're, you're just spiraling, you know? And, and obviously, you know, when you've trained, you know, several people from the company, we've just met literally this morning. (laughs) How did you arrive at how you train people now? Just like a brief little history so that I can understand. Um, Short story, I guess. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Originally, I mean, competing myself in a bunch of different sports, but um, then coming to way of training um, through our business partner, Mike Twight, uh, it was kind of like, my mentor, you know, still is, mm-hmm. um, and really adopted this site, like psychology spirit first mentality about how to affect someone's entire being, not just the physiology. Um, and then that took us into movie jobs, into, you know, special military units to help, help them prepare for all sorts of different tasks. And so we got placed into these, you know, sports teams uh, at really high levels, which is supposed to be like the fancy thing that people think about. But really it's just, you get to a certain level where you have a control on all the dials because the outcome is really important. Right. Like there, there's really, uh, there's nothing special about getting somebody into a shirtless scene other than there's $365 million behind the fact that if he doesn't look good or she doesn't look good as the character, they don't really sell anything. Mm-hmm. So this high demand means I get all the attention towards, okay, how you eat, how you train, how do you recover, who works on you, where your psychology is at, what your relationships are at. Now you're dealing with like, now it's like a entire lifestyle thing. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's kind of where Aaron comes in because, you know, I, I can only do part of it. And one of the reasons we worked so well together for so long is Aaron is like masterful with nutrition Mm -hmm. and and not just in the sense of understanding food, but understanding how to cook it, prepare it, appeal to somebody, talk them through why their habits of eating and yada, yada are, are are, need to change or can't change or whatever. That's interesting. You said, you know, special operations communities or units or whatever. Uh, Jericho and I were just talking about two days ago Mm -hmm. and we were going back and forth, whether it was 
somewhere between 2001 and 2003, they sent two CrossFitters or what was some version of CrossFit back then. Mm -hmm. And it was a female in body armor and we had nothing. We were like Ranger panties and t-shirts. And then the male in body armor. They go, okay, we're going to do, it was something like a 5, 10, 15 and a 400 in between for X amount of rounds. Doesn't matter. She smoked these, like smoked everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, maybe, you know, back and thighs, chest and tries is not the right go. And, and run all the miles all the time. And obviously it's, it's evolved and, yeah. you know. And now we're used to chicks smoking us. Yeah. Like that, yeah, right. that just becomes the norm. <laughs> that was a conversation with my son about jujitsu. We started him at eight. He's like at nine, 10. He's like, I think I want to compete. And I go, the worst thing that can happen is a girl wrecks you, you know, even in the gym on a daily basis. Yeah. But the psychology of that, yeah. he knows not to hit his sister. So, yeah. so now he's a poor training partner and you see it with boys. He's like this. And then with girls, he's like, kind of, yeah. yeah, interesting. That. Yeah. It's super interesting. Well, and coming from a female standpoint and a competitive standpoint, if you're training with the guys and you're beating the guys, outlifting the guys, like, okay, now I need new training partners. Now I need, like, I won't, if I walk into a gym and I'm training for something, I sh- I wouldn't say that I overlook the female training partners, but if I'm keeping up with the guys, then I know that I'm on pace for competition. Yeah. So mm. it is an interesting, like that's the flip side of, of that. Do you think it's different? I mean, it's obviously different energetically to train with, if you just take top tier anybody, mm. female, male, do you see it's different at the top? Like how they approach training, how they, tr- guys tend to group together differently than females do. Do you just think the environment changes? I don't know. I think in top level CrossFit, um, which is kind of what I have reference to, um, I I don't think so. I think I think the sports evolved to a place where everyone's kind of training together. Like I'm looking yeah. for competition partners at that point. Because in jujitsu, I see the difference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like guys to tend be. to train together, sure. and and it's not that females can't just wipe the floor with us. I mean, it happens all the time. Absolutely. Know? Even blue belt females would just can destroy me sometimes. It's just like if they're if they're good and technically sound, it's it's different. But we they do start to separate because I think the energy is different in jujitsu specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guys will always be a little bit timid about applying realistic pressure to a female, even Absolutely. if they can tolerate it. And so I think yeah. females know that, and they'll go to highly aggressive females. Uh, to to mm. dish out what com- competition will feel like. I do feel like they're technically better than us most of the time, and I'm a yeah. terrible blue belt. Mm. I mean, horrible, <laughs> self admittedly. I don't. I don't think that would be far off. Uh, the generalization is obviously not 100 percent true, but it probably has relevance because females tend to be more body aware, mm. right? For for a host of different reasons, this is probably one of the subjects that we kind of harp on quite a bit. Is hey, we ask a lot of questions around what it's like to train as, mm-hmm. you know, what is it like to train as a female? What is it like to train as um, a special operations? Um, what is it like to train as whatever you're doing? Cause you're trying to find the perspective to understand all the inputs and outputs. Mm-hmm. And that, I think asking the question of what it's like to train as a female mm-hmm. is probably one of the hardest things to try to understand from a male perspective. We think about it as purely physiology or purely physiological, which is like, statistically guys are 13 to 14% more developed in their shoulder musculature, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you can look historically about why that would be important for survival in an agricultural system and why 
maybe perhaps before that in egalitarian hunter-gatherer societies, women were probably more on par physically with men when it wasn't um, upper body strength dominant. There's lots of these little things that come out. The interesting thing that I think is one of the most relevant, especially now when you're talking about gender identity in sports and how that is a wildly contested topic. Um, But the interesting point that we like that I like to make as opposed to going to the physiology of testosterone and estrogen is, man, do you know what it's like? Like what kind of benefit is it growing up with the positive reinforcement of being physical encompassing your life, Mm -hmm. right? Somebody throws you a ball, good catch. Someone makes you, Hey, you got to run faster. Hey, you got a good job. You did this. Hey, go run in the mud, go play in this. Yeah. Try hard, grit your teeth and like, stomp down and do it. And that is in general, if you had, you know, a standard upbringing from a father, mother kind of scenario as a male, that would be normal. But for a female, typically it's, you know, be dainty, be light, be meek, be, be, be very off putting, like, don't be, so, don't, don't try so hard because it doesn't look pretty and don't, you know, don't do the things that boys are going to do. Besides all the physiology that's different, there is a psychological thing that you have to overcome if you're going to become capable, because I think we can all agree that whether whether you believe females should be in certain fields or not is almost irrelevant. If you believe that females should be capable, you have to understand that they need certain psychological reinforcements and certain things that they shouldn't have to fight because it's just energy. Like if I have to fight against the fact that somebody is constantly questioning, you know, whatever it is that they question about whether I look too muscular, I look manly or I look masculine, that's going to take away from my energy putting into doing something. That's a good point, actually. Interesting. Yeah. A long rant. I mean, <laughs> I think it's pretty empowering as a female to train and compete. I, I don't think that I would have been able to, you know, get through some of the stuff I have in the past couple of years, if I hadn't trained and competed and been in a hard physical space that I'm like, mm. okay, nothing can be as hard as this. I'm halfway, can't turn back now. You know, I'm just going to go through it. I'm going to do my best. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what else gets you to that point where you feel physically capable. And so you loop back around in real life situations to be, you know, psychologically capable. Absolutely. I try to teach my small ones. You, you have to earn like mm-hmm. your meal every day. You have to earn it. You know, yeah. what did you do today to earn? I'm going to make you do that. <laughs> <laughs> you made me earn it. I'm yeah. going to eat all the things when I'm done <laughs> yeah, with right. my fast. Yeah. There is some, I, I'm kind of torn on this concept uh, because I like it because obviously there's going to be a paradox somewhere where I think we get lost. This is maybe a bigger life problem, which is, um, I think for people to find value, right? If you're born and you exist, you have a right to be alive. You have this, this thing that can't be taken away from you, which we get convinced that we have to buy into a system. We get convinced that we have to work for somebody in order to earn our place and our livelihood. But reality, what you're talking about, I think is that the truth of it is like, I have to earn my ability to sustain life, Mm -hmm. right? Whether that's through food, work means whatever. And that is a, it's such a different feeling. It's like astronomically different if something is given to you than whether you earned it. Mm-hmm. And you, like, you can't explain it. It's the same reaction, right? You gave me the drink, but if I had to work for the drink, like it's just tastes different. And it's just how you approach your day. You know, if uh, I have something in the morning, a meeting or, or a, a trip or I'm traveling or whatever, like I'm a fasting guy, which I'm excited to get into because yeah. I like to nerd out on it. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we initially talked, I was like, you can take all my bro science and turn it into actual <laughs> words that make for sense. Sure. But- if it's late in the day 
and I haven't worked out yet and I'm past my fast, mm-hmm. I still don't eat because I haven't earned it yet. And I put myself back in this caveman mentality. You yeah. know, the caveman hunted, he gathered, and then he had to find a window to eat and then he ate and then rinse, repeat over and over again. Yeah. But I use the, uh, the Costco chicken theory. So one day I'm having a conversation about just workouts, health, why, like keto-y things and whatever. And I said, well, it's like the Costco chicken theory. And the person I was talking to is like, what do you mean? So <laughs> there's like eight chicken breasts or eight full mm. chicken breasts in there, right? So there's four chickens. Yeah. If I had to run around and catch and pluck and prepare all four of those chickens, I probably wouldn't eat two at a time. I'd probably eat one at a time right. if I could, you know, store point. them or whatever. Yeah. Also, I would savor that one chicken breast and be like, you know what? That's enough. I yeah. That fed me for whatever I did today. Maybe Chickens are one. fast. Right? <laughs> you were trying, I've tried to catch chickens. Yeah. I've had, yeah. But that was the chicken theory, and that's earning it. I like you know, that. We all get to go out and buy it for the most part. Yeah. But if you had to catch it and procure it, like yeah. a lot of our guys hunt, and, and they really mm-hmm. treasure that meat or that meal. It's different. Yep. And you don't yeah. maybe... I gorged on some elk that Evan brought in the other day because yep. it was delicious. Yeah. But occasionally you'll go, you know what? I'll eat a little less because I could save it for later. I mean, when we were first experimenting, I mean, this is decades ago. I like that. I might ago. steal that. <laughs> I, I kind of used a similar thing with like, you know, eating a whole food. Like I'm trying to eat as naturally as possible, staying away from processed foods, but also time periods where like, I'm responsible for preparing all of the food that I eat. Now, I'm still buying meat that has been processed. So I'm I'm getting like a huge advantage for that. But even today, just making that simple requirement, I'm not eating any processed food that I didn't make myself. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes down to desserts and stuff, stuff that like, oh man, it's like highly palatable. Um, You know, the, the signals to continue eating it are very high because the sweet, fat, salt kind of thing that goes into it. Um, but if I have to prepare ice cream from scratch before I eat it, yeah. that is a two-hour process, right? Yep. From, from, you know, breaking the egg yolks and getting them to incorporate and then cooling it and then cooling down the ice cream machine or whatever you're going to use for it, let alone if I made it in a traditional ice salt kind of deal. That, that two hours that you spend doing it, it is enough work to earn it almost, right? The, it, it's not, it's not, it's not going to reflect just on consumption and abundance. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing you hit on is something that we teach philosophically is when people I think are like, I want to look like Aaron, she's jacked. And you're like, yeah, cool. But you're going to miss a huge part of this. I think we look not how we want to look to appeal to an aesthetic, but a philosophical thing. I want to look like I live within my means and I only take what I need, which means I'm not over consuming something. Mm -hmm. It's It's a disrespect to how I feel like I am on the planet. And as a byproduct to what we can do, you know, physically. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you and I personally go for aesthetic. I train with girls that are super jacked. You know, they're not as long and lurpy as me. And I'm like, man, I wish I looked like that. But I can also go faster than them, you know? And like, that's that's a big thing. So I think it's it's always a byproduct of of what you're doing. Um, How did you get into keto diet? Okay. So back when it was, I've been on and off on this for probably, I'm trying, I do my best not to exaggerate, 10 to 12 years. Like when it was an Atkins thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like the bars are just meats and cheeses and things like that. And I, I was a pretty light kid, like Mm -hmm. 150 something because I wrestled the only reason I remember 
But when I went in the army, um, different deployments and things like that, you know, messed with my <laughs> metabolism in a big way. You and mean the food quality wasn't the highest? <laughs> no, where I came from, the food was, the, the quality was better than Good. normal. Okay. The quantity was not limited. It wasn't uh, like one protein. If I wanted five chicken breasts and a pile of broccoli, I could do it. Okay. But at the time Thanks. I was like, yes, I will have eight hard boiled eggs and a pile of tater tots. Mm. I didn't know any better. You know, I'm an, <laughs> Sounds young, delicious. Young <laughs> Amazing. Young kid in the army. But later on in life, I noticed that basically, I, you know, I'd gone, gotten like 180 was kind of my, my walking around weight. And then I'd go to a school or go on a deployment and sometimes you'd bump up to 225. Like oh, I, I walked at 240 oh, for a while. Yeah. And then the next one, you lose 25 pounds. You lose 30 pounds. Yeah. You know, body fat or muscle or a little bit of both? Muscle, mostly. I mean, okay. it wasn't like cool. veins in my stomach, you yeah. know, type yeah. of lean by any means, but it was just, it was a thing. We're yeah. like, all right, we're going to jack steel like crazy. It's going to yeah. be great. And mm-hmm. we're flying, we're not walking or whatever. After that, I started realizing like heavy's not good for my knees. You know, 225, 240 is not great. So then I started doing just lean protein, what I knew. Like, yeah. hey, I'm just going to eat meats and vegetables for the most part. Did that for a long time. And I noticed I felt good. Yeah. Yeah. Later on in life, I started becoming aware of the inflammation. Yeah. And even today, when I go home to visit my sweet mom, she'll go, oh no, I made those like keto meatballs and I'll eat them. And I go, you're a liar. Yeah. yeah. You're a horrible liar. She's like, I only, but I only put a half a cup and I can yeah. feel it. Yeah. yeah. I can yeah. feel the inflammation in my body. So I did, this is several years ago, uh, probably six or seven years ago, I was talked into the whole 30. Oh, yeah, and yeah. then I was kind of in the middle of that and carb night. So on training days, like a heavy training day, I would do the sweet potato or the rice yeah. and stuff. I went back up to like, 230, Just from that. Huh? I just got bigger and bulkier and yeah. I'm like, I can't do it. Yeah. So I do keto like nine times out of 10, yeah. the majority of the year. And then I started coming in with the fasting thing and I got stupid with the fasting and you could mm-hmm. tell me why I did all the wrong things. And again, this is all bro science and Joe Rogan. That's a good start. It's, yeah. Well, in, good in, sources. I, I kept hearing from people like, Oh, I can't not, I can't skip carbs. I can't do it. And I'm like, mm, you can, and it's not that hard. Well, when I'm on the road, I can. I'm like, you yeah, you can. can. You absolutely can. <laughs> yeah. Just have to get the mentality straight. Hmm. So the fasting thing, I was the butter and coffee guy Yeah. for a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I don't really like the butter. And mm-hmm. why do I want the calories in the morning? Yeah. And right about then I went, yeah. okay, I'm just going to do coffee in the morning, nothing till lunch. And then that became, well, gosh, maybe I could go like two o'clock, four o'clock. And I noticed that between, let's say 11 and then five o'clock in the evening. Yeah. My brain was clicking on more cylinders. Like I yeah. felt really good. I could train any time of the day because I felt light. I didn't yeah. eat a meal. I'm also that same guy who looked at uh, blood typing, mm-hmm. opaws, and I'm like, yeah. that's pretty old. Like I should be doing like meat and, yeah. you know, things I can pick and gather and whatnot. Yeah. My problem was when I would finish my fast, you know, in the evening, and by now I'm just eating dinner. I got dinner and second dinners like a hobbits. Nice. Um, the Greeks. Yeah. yeah. I would eat too much. But I was good. I felt lean and everything was great. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to a couple of years ago, let's say two, three years ago, I was living overseas and doing the same thing. But then I started getting fatter and I'm like, why am I getting fatter? Then I learned about overconsumption of protein can convert yeah. Yeah. something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, bro science. So I'm like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, the eight eggs with, you know, some chicken breast and with this and whatever else. Yeah. So it's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. And I used to do the cheat day thing too. 
Oh yeah. But my one day would turn into like a day and a half or a day. And a, half. <laughs> a weekend yeah, and then a long weekend, weekend and then a Memorial Day weekend. And one day I just went, you know what? I don't like them. They don't feel good. Yeah. So my cheat day will consist of something. Actually, there's a restaurant here that has like a meat pizza thing yeah. where the dough is actually meat. Yeah. Tons of calories. Not great for my arteries, I'm sure. But I just don't really cheat anymore. Yeah. I don't want to feel that way. We're right there too. We don't really cheat anymore. Because who are you cheating? Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah. This cheat, is huge. It, cheat implies that too. you're getting away with it, right? Yeah. They, 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 somehow it's not going through the system. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So a couple things could be happening, looping back around to like overconsumption or overconsuming protein. If you're training really hard and there's no carbohydrates there, you, you might have looked flat, like just, you know, flat, no water storing in your muscle belly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have just been calories in general. Like yeah. it could have just been, it might not have been protein converting into carbohydrate or glucose unless you were trying to be in ketosis. That's the goal. Like once, once you're out of your fast though. Okay. I listened to Modern Health Show, Ma, episode 250 something, 253. Mm-hmm. And they talked about blueberries. Okay. Keto. So for a while I was doing, I think it was a tablespoon of almond butter and some blueberries in the evening. And mm-hmm. I was doing the, you know, GNC right. finger prick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, however test blood. that is. For and ketones I, too or just blood? Or glucose. Ketones. Okay. Yeah, for ketones. That's the only one I really paid attention to because yeah. it's the only number I understood. So I was yeah. like 0.9, 1 point something. Okay. You're on the verge. Yep. And then I'd get into it in the evening, but I'd do the blueberries and I'd wake up at like a two something further yeah. in. And I'm like, I don't know. It was on the podcast. Seems like it works. Um, there, well, there's a, there's a bunch of, so, so the, the weight gain on carbohydrate, first of all, like you have to distinguish that if you're doing a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. it needs to be marked by the state that you're in, not the foods that you eat. And that, that really is, I think what most people get wrong about that diet. Generally, when people do it, they're probably way too high protein, um, yeah. not enough fat and probably generally just garbagey foods in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people now, now that. There's a market for it. There's keto brownies and keto ice cream and all this kind of stuff. I, it doesn't seem like you're that kind of person, but I think publicly it should be stated. Like when we're talking about a ketogenic diet, it's effective for certain disease protocols, mm-hmm. sometimes weight loss, sometimes um, anti-inflammatory diets. Uh, a friend of ours mm-hmm. who is a team guy, uh, man, he swears by it. But I mean, he, you... He's from New York too. So it's a not like, diet? yeah, he just, I mean, it helps his inflammation. Like in the second he breaks it, it's like your mom's meatballs. He's yeah. like, I can feel it. And he's like, from New York, I got to get a piece of pizza, but I pay for that piece of pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, I just it, eat the top. Yeah. And there's, there's yeah. some, there's some real, uh, I think there's some real data points on why that would help. Mostly because if you're eating healthful whole foods that are high in fat from a natural source, they're going to tend to have a way different profile of fat source than your traditional um, American diet, mm-hmm. which the fat sources can be seed oils, which are traditionally N6, omega-6, which are highly inflammatory. They break down into arachnidonic acid pretty quickly. And that is just insightful for all sorts of things. Um, so on the, on the basis of a keto diet, you're, you're dealing with, you know, what is the state I'm in? And it, it's technically being in ketosis is, Anywhere over zero, but I would say you're not into ketosis until you're like 1.2, 1.5 mm-hmm. is, a, is a state of ketosis. Anything over three is probably too deep. 
Uh, too deep means you're shedding electrolytes differently. So mm, interesting. Um, there, I think that needs to be talked about too, because like anything, people go, oh, it's good. I can go way yeah, deeper. That's P for plenty. Right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I exactly. use it all the time. Too much, <laughs> too much is, is too much in, in any degree. So there, there's this therapeutic um, ketosis that can help with cognition, help with anti-inflammatory, satiation, help prolonging fast. All of that stuff I think is great. I'm on board for it. Um, the weight gain loss thing I think is interesting because a lot of people don't realize if you have a high fat diet, fat is hydrophilic, right? Like it, it, it pushes water away, which is why on a high fat diet, medium protein, low carbohydrate, I'm actually going to lose a lot of weight because carbohydrate and protein inherently need to attach to water molecules in order to store glycogen. And it's four to one. So for every one gram of carbohydrate, I store four grams of water. So you're like, if I have, you know, a half a pound of pasta, I'm going to, I'm going to essentially store almost two pounds of weight because of the water that attaches to right. it. That's not necessarily bad. That's how glycogen moves. And so that, that can be a misconception. Now, if it's prolonged and you're looking at, man, whenever I eat carbohydrate, I tend to actual gain body fat based off of DEXA scans or just visually, um, if you can start to tell, okay, now maybe you are carb intolerant or there's something else going on where you're not processing it correctly. Um, that would be the two things that I think, you know, there's no answer there, but it's worth looking at about mm-hmm. the details of, uh, of a diet. Um, the other thing I'd be aware of is like when you, when, when, when we look at a diet, um, whether it's a, uh, you know, she will write a diet for somebody, right? That, that's a prescription way of eating. And it usually comes from tinkering for weeks on time. Absolutely. Right. Like asking questions. Well, I think an important thing too, you know, when that whole line, I lost my train of thought when people say, oh, I can't quit carbs and I, and they want to do keto or they mm-hmm. say like, well, what are you doing? You know, it seems to work. I go, we have to do it for a while. Yes. Yeah. So especially when your first time, you know, two weeks, you're going to maybe be a, le- a little lethargic or not feel super hot or, yep. but you have to do it for, let's say like 30 days or like go hard in the paint and see yep. how it actually works. But people will go for a week and go, you know, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they get, it gets a shit name out of the deal and you're for like, sure. well, you did it for a week and that was only Monday through Friday. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah trying to blanket fix things with like a labeled diet, I think is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's not even enough time to get your body used to using fat as a fuel source, which is, I mean, we deal with that in carnivore diet as well. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think you could be in ketosis with carnivore diet. You can, just like anything else, you can do a diet. I could do low fat, high carb, you know, moderate protein carnivore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also do carnivore off of In-N-Out burgers. Like, yeah. you, you you know, like <laughs> I've done something similar. Yeah. Burger yeah. no bun. Yeah. I've gotten sure. the best stories ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went with a buddy and uh, we were in the airport and mm-hmm. I went to, it was early in the morning. I was starving. I hadn't started my fasting thing. And I went to chicken and biscuit, right? Oh nice. yeah. Sounds I mean, delicious. I'm sure it's trash. Sure. Meat. No offense. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't really care. The egg and the meat is probably not great, but there's three individuals and it's a young girl. And then they look like the mom and then like the dad. Right. And I don't know what language they were speaking, but I said, can I get uh, two chicken and a biscuit? And you put the cheese in the middle so it doesn't melt onto the biscuit. And I said, uh, no biscuit. And the girl was like, wait, what? She was no biscuit. <laughs> and she was like, bup, 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 bup. and they go, bup, 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 bup. And the guy was, the guy was like, hey. she goes, and he goes, bah, 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 bah. she goes, we can't do that. 
I go, well, I could leave and throw the biscuits in the trash. Yeah. And then the starving pygmies in New Guinea are going to continue yeah. to starve. Or yeah. you just give me the, yeah, it's awesome all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a People couple. can't st- even fathom. They're like, what? Uh, yeah, they have a really hard time. When we were like going really strict carnivore uh, when she was writing this book and we we're really like messing with like how to do it while traveling and kind of every. Which is way easier than people think. It is. And we were with some people that were doing carnivore at the time and they were like swearing by and they're doing it, but they were doing it. And, and we were just kind of like seeing how they were doing it. And they were like, oh yeah, every once in a while when I can't find a place, I'll just stop it in and out and I'll just order 10 patties with cheese yeah flying dutch (laughs) 10 of them for each like me and so we're like okay we got to see what is going on so yeah let's just do the same thing like how many already 10 like these are big guys so i'm like maybe five or whatever and we would go in and we'd order like 40 because there's so many like 40 (laughs) with like 40 please (laughs) with like 40 patties and cheese and then when you actually look at it it's so cheap oh yeah like they're like 40 cents a patty or something. Yeah. Here's, this is like unlock. Yeah. I would go to Subway. This is eight years ago. (laughs) And I'd go, hey, can I get, uh, you know, ham and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And instead of the bread, I want you to wrap it in the egg thing. Oh, nice. I paid anything from like $3.75 to like 14 bucks because I can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) It was like Cafe Rio did the same thing. like entertainment. Yeah, we went up to like, we just want your, just fill it with meat. Just put steak in there. And they were Mm -hmm. like, a couple sides like, of get out. <laughs> well, no, they did it, but then we had like four pounds of steak and it was delicious. But it was also yeah. like they didn't know what to do. I think they charged us like five bucks, and we're like, "Cool, I'm That's doing it. this every time." It's yeah. the first thing I would do in a couple different countries, like uh, Iraq, Kurdistan, kind of the same. And Israel is. I would go to the Terp and I'd go, "How do I say meat and vegetables?" That's it. Nice. And you get a big bowl of yeah. whatever the meat was. Who yeah. knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is, I mean, it's a really interesting way to think about, it, especially like, uh, I think some of the stuff that she teaches probably better than anything. is like how to incorporate, the, the diet that you're going to do is the only diet that works. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Great point. we refuse to label things. And instead we really try to take concepts. And so our concepts are like, what are the energy, what are the energy needs, right? And with those energetic needs, so if you're, you know, a, a diesel, you know, I'm doing some long runs and I'm doing a lot of aerobic work that's like really not high intensity and I'm doing some basic strength work. It starts to look a lot like, it starts to look a lot like a sustainable model for, you know, uh, military personnel that sure. are, you know, aren't, maybe they're not in, you know, some kind of SMU deal, but mm-hmm. there are, there are physical requirements that just need to be sustainable. So you look at that energy requirement and you fill it and then you look at the macronutrient balance, it would also map on top of that. And then you map on something which people don't realize, which is the nutrient density. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mostly where yeah. we plug things in because the thing that you'll get that we started to notice is like, yeah, you can make it work. Like a couple meals here and there throughout the week that are not optimal isn't going to do anything to you if your base practice is solid and you have solid nutrition that has an insane amount of nutrient quality through minerals, you know, vitamins, stuff like that. Um, you can't get that generally uh, in the public. Like I couldn't eat out and get a full spectrum of amino acids. I couldn't eat out and get a full spectrum of vitamins and minerals, vitamin K, all these things that are missing. You really start looking at it. You're like pretty much everybody needs to be eating wild game, organ meats. And these, these are the things that really change a diet because I can map the energy qualities I can map the macronutrients and now I could be on a bodybuilder diet. I could be on a keto diet. It doesn't really matter. It could map what I'm doing. 
but it's not going to be sustainable because my body is going to be missing something that I can't detect unless I'm very in tune with my my uh, intuitive sense of eating. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yep. So you guys are on the list. I'm like, I right, like talk to him. And you had a story that popped up. You, mm-hmm. I think you were videoing when she was putting the thing mm-hmm. in her arm. <laughs> And oh, then, and then, <laughs> the, with, the glucose monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah the glucose monitor. <laughs> the thing, see, bro, science, yep. actual yeah. things. And then you put out, you were in a fast and you had worked out and you saw the, explain that a little bit. Cause I saw it and I was like, oh no, I really need to talk to you. Um, when I saw the numbers jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, and I usually fast. I usually don't say like, all right, I'm going to for sure hit a four o'clock or a two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. Because uh, I'm not against intermittent fasting, but one thing that was happening there, which we we knew from playing around in the the keto world a little bit, but uh, if you fast and then you train or you fast and then you wake up, you have cortisol that spikes, and it's just like you need that. You need to wake up in the morning, right? So mm-hmm. cortisol spikes. So if you're wearing a continuous glucose monitor you're going to see little spikes throughout the day. If you go and train, like the highest, my glucose monitor is spiked is during training because mm. now I'm breaking down muscle tissue. There's sugar in my blood and there's cortisol as well. Mm. So there's those two components. Um, let's say I wanted to fast because I don't always eat after I train. Like usually I fast until I'm hungry, right? I'm not competing. It's it, I don't feel like at this point it's taken away from my fitness or my recovery. Um, I'll fast. My blood sugar will come back down. Um, and I have a lot of clients that drink like kombucha or, you know, what can I drink to stay in a fast until like 4 PM? And I'm noticing like, even if it's, even if it's three grams of carbs, if it's liquid sugar, it's going to throw you up, you know, up to, I think I saw 118 at one point. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. The, the liquid sugary stuff is like probably the most dangerous. And there's no there's really no problem with blood sugar moving. Like right. it's a natural process of, you know, using glucose for energy and uh, using that window to use glucose to restore um, glycogen stores. Um, this is a normal process for like athletic performance that, that we really time. But a lot of my clients don't work out. So you take that yeah. component out and you're like, oh, okay, you're, you're just continuously spiking your insulin all day. I have one client that's drinking two kombuchas before she starts eating. And I'm like, okay, you're just spiking your insulin for no reason. Like, could you have a cup of coffee with a little bit of cream in it? Or yeah, and you know, like, could you have literally anything else with with fat in it instead of carbohydrate, even if it doesn't seem like a lot? And this is where I think the marketing of food becomes detrimental to people's understanding of their own health yeah. and longevity. It's like, kombucha is good bacteria, it's, you know, for my gut floor. And I hear that's good for you know, depression or whatever. And you're like, yeah, you're drinking soda. Mm-hmm. Like whether there's like 15 grams of sugar in most kombucha and you're drinking two of those, that's 30 grams. You might as well have a Coca-Cola. Not really. It's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But essentially the reaction from your body might start to replicate that. The other dangerous ground that I think people get into with fasting, if you're healthy, active, crossfitting, doing, you know, high fat, low carb, high protein, something like that, um, where you'll see some some values and blood markers that are not ideal. Um, when you are moving blood glucose, like glycogen, naturally um, through gluconeogenesis, if you're in a ketogenic state, you're going to be converting protein kind of into carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when you tap on that button a lot, like anything, this is the problem with not having variation in styles of eating or variations of like food sourcing or, or training styles or energetic systems that you're affecting, strength, um, capacity, endurance work, all eff- effectively change uh, what your body's reacting to. And if I, if I hit that button a lot on empty, um, cortisol has to start taking over because uh, insulin kind of taps out or insulin goes when cortisol taps out. And once cortisol taps out and insulin is going, now my body's preferentially trying to store glucose molecules on red blood, right? So that's your hemoglobin A1C count. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, you know, one of the correlates to being pre-diabetic is a high hemoglobin A1C. Now for athletic people that are fit, there's probably no problem there. They have a high hemoglobin A1C, low triglycerides, low blood sugar, low insulin. All of that stuff is fine. So, it, But if you go to a doctor and they read your blood, you're like, oh, you're pre-diabetic. And you go, wait, it, no, I'm not. Like I'm lean and I CrossFit every day and I don't eat any sugar. Right. But they're looking at one number and saying, no, it's dangerous. Uh, it's not dangerous, but it is a sign that the system is actually overtapping either insulin or cortisol. Mm. That is what I think people And that can of. happen. Like if you go and get a blood test and you wake up in the morning, you fast, you go work out and then go get that blood test, mm. your numbers could be pre-diabetic. It happened to you at one point. Yeah. And you're like, how could this possibly be? Yeah, the doctor said I was lying. And he's like, no, you're eating carbs. I'm like, I, I have less than 80 grams of carbs a day. Like, I mean, in that, that's, yeah. that's, on top of training twice, I mean, at the time we were competitive right. and I was training two and three times a day, you know, I was, you know, less than 11% body fat. And you're like, there's no way, like we are meticulous with diet in most cases. Right. And you're like, there's no way that I'm pre-diabetic. This doesn't make any sense. And that's really what threw me down the wormhole of starting to test blood, mm-hmm. blood sugar. And before I knew it, I was like, test, I was like, oh my God, I can't be pre-diabetic. So I was like testing 50 grams of rice and then testing my blood to see what it'd be. And it wouldn't bump. Like I couldn't get my blood sugar to move over a hundred until I ended up eating a box of macaroni and cheese and a bowl of, of gummy bears yeah. and then a cup of cereal. ice cream. And then it, cereal was in there. And then, it, and then it bumped to 130 and then it dropped to 75 within 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, wow. wow, I'm healthy actually. Like yeah. the response to glucose is very, very important. And I think that's what people forget. It's one of the cool things about a constant monitor is you, you, you not only see what foods are probably problematic and shoving you not in a good direction, not the insulin is like the end all be all measurement yeah. of health, mm-hmm. uh, but it is showing your reaction to it. And I think that can be helpful. I think if I only wore this and I only paid attention to this and not necessarily calories in, mm-hmm. um, I think people could get into a dangerous place because you can eat a cheeseburger, you can go have Indian oh, food, sure. you can eat really, you know, calorically dense food and possibly be like 7,000 calories in, but your glucose could be in a good spot. Well, I feel like and so you kind of need to do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a holistic approach. Yeah. For sure. What am I doing? How am I working out? What's today? What's my stress level? How am I eating? Was I on the road? Like I've been on the road and I feel like yeah. a garbage. Yeah. I haven't gone off the diet necessarily, but yeah. you know, would you say Carl's Jr., 40 patties? Like yeah. I was doing something like that. And I'm just, mm. it's not, I, I hate the word optimal, but it, it really isn't it. You can do it when you need to mm-hmm. and you should. And this is what we used to teach originally is like, man, you don't want to eat at a gas station, but you should be able to, yes. you should be able to go in and go, okay, I can do beef jerky. I can do some nuts and I can do some dried fruits or whatever is in your diet. Yeah. And I should plan around my requirements, my needs and my, my want should always be nutrient dense food. I should want the most nutrient dense food possible because yeah. that 
attribute, which gets masked over because we have ridiculous RDA um, requirements. We have ridiculous governmental nutritional policy that doesn't actually take into account the entire human, the, the, the meta-analysis of human behavior, which is your psychology, it's your activity, yeah. your lifestyle, all of these things. And that's the huge thing that I work on with my clients is, okay, I can write you numbers. I can hand you numbers. This is going to work in six weeks. This is going to get you here on the date, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I can't hand that to someone who can't emotionally do that, right? Well, you, you, the thing that interests me, you said a lot of your clients don't work out. Some of them, not all of my clients are athletes. Okay. Not all of my clients work out. I, I have a, just like assumed, like yeah. work out, you know, balance. I have, Interesting. I mean, I have a lot of clients that are athletes. I still work with actors quite a, quite a bit. What does he eat? Tell us. <laughs> what did he eat? Does he still eat that way? Henry Cavill? I don't yeah. know how he eats now. Superman. That's um, it changed. I mean, every single time we've worked with him, he's done something different. He's done high fat, moderate protein, super low carb. Um, on Justice League, we started him out fairly high calorie and then we didn't keep him there long. Um, even though we had the time, uh, we oh, can't- Hold on. Hold, okay. hold the phone. So you were doing the nutrition and were you doing the workouts? Uh-huh. Yeah. So the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so working on Justice League, main client, Henry Cabell. Yeah. Um, Michael's like, oh, why are we talking about this? <laughs> so I think, I, oh, no. It's, my name is it's interesting. Christopher Reeves. Oh, nice. Okay. I mean, Reeve was the first guy. But- yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. All right. Um, when we worked on Justice League, um, we, we took him high calorie for a little while. When we showed up in London, he was already at a place where we didn't have to do necessarily a bulk mm-hmm. and then a, a, a cut down or a cut, which I hate using that word. Um, we balanced out his macros to see kind of where he was, how many calories are you eating? What gets you to drop? Because it's always changing, right? You don't work with someone for a year and everything's different, you know? When did you start? Like po- or pre production, like when did you start? For that specific job? Yeah. Uh, Well, when when do you like to start? How about that? (laughs) Way before they let us. Okay. So uh, it depends on the requirements. Um, If it's a day or two of shirtless stuff, man, you really don't, you can really tighten things up very quickly and get Mm -hmm. somebody to a spot where you can pop it in and out. Um, Depends on where they're starting. It does, but this was a two week shirtless shoot. Mm -hmm. And so you need consistency. There's too much fun. And it's all the same scene. So you're going to run into some issues there. And the, the problem is, is um, we started on this what, in um, m- not m- March. I think it was April, beginning April? of April. Okay. Yeah. April, March, something right there. Um, and the shoot scene was in July, end of July. Okay. So you're a couple months. Um, and, and that's, man, it was a tight deadline. Like, Mark, when I told Mark what we needed to do, because he was on the job too, he's working with Jason. He kind of looked at me and smiled because he didn't think we could do it. He was like, you guys are fucked. We were like. <laughs> yeah, you're like. Tell me I can't. Yeah. Well, kind of, but I was also like, he's probably right. Uh, we really, like, it was a tight timeline for how much weight loss needed to happen mm-hmm. and the and and the nature for what we require. Like the look that we actually want is is. We're not going for bodybuilder, you know, veins in the skin kind of deal necessarily, but we are going for a consistent, athletic, visually pleasing, Mm -hmm. like muscular lean person. Not so lean that you don't want to like, it it should be like something, I don't know, there's a weird feel to it. He needed to be athletic looking, like he can move weight. Yeah, Yeah. he needed to be real looking. 
Um, and, and so that's different. But again, you asked the question, like when you look at the big picture, like when did we start working on him? Well, 2010, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like the, his ability to do that started, you know, six years before okay, that, when still. we first started working with it, like getting, seeing how he reacted on all these different jobs gives us a starting point, but also we got to learn every single time what is new about the situation. There's more stress yeah. involved. There's more life demands from the person. There's yeah. less sleep. There's um, there's more on the line. It's a bigger movie. More injury prone. Like the, the, everything is getting worse while we're trying to get better. And so you're, man, there's, yeah, it's a six year process really. And I, I think that's fair for people when people are like, oh man, you know, I just really want to get my life together. You know, well, how old are you? And you're like, oh, I'm 35, 38, 40, what is it? Okay. How long have you been like how you are? And you're like 20 years. Cool. So maybe not six months. Maybe that's yeah. not a good guideline. Maybe give yourself enough time to undo the bad that you've done. Mm-hmm. And that that takes, I, I think, a lifetime. Like I'm still trying to undo the athletic damage that I've done to myself, right? Balance yeah. it out. I'm still trying to unwind all of the horrible diets that I've done to myself. I'm still trying to like get better, even though the body is technically getting worse. I feel you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. So you don't have to name any names, but have you ever had a client that showed up and you're like, yeah, we worked with them before, or we're generally aware of what they look like and they show up and you're like, fuck. I mean, I would describe that. I mean, drop that. That was the situation on Justice League. It was like yeah. he had just done the um, promotion for Batman for Superman, which means, you know, it's a lot of weeks of partying a lot of partying. Traveling. Like yeah. it's a lot of celebration, whatever that means. A lot of drinking, a lot of meals and a lot of travel, which doesn't British. do anybody mm. any favors. I feel like there's a lot of beer involved in that. There's a mm. lot of Jack, Jack and Coke. And Coke. Oh. <laughs> which is probably worse. Coke or Diet Coke? Coke. Oh, all right. Yeah. So- I, and we've had we've had clients before where a lot of times they have like you know you'd be familiar with this that their culture uh, Australian British British military mm-hmm. Australian military something like that they have a drinking culture mm-hmm. and a lot of the times we'll look at it like look we're, we don't have time to play daddy problems mm-hmm. right we we don't we don't we a don't are we're not qualified yeah even though we do do it sometimes but we got to figure out how to get the job done without unwinding, I don't know, ancestral trauma that comes out. And that's why a drinking habit is there or why alcoholism is present. And instead we go, Hey, if you're going to drink, let's keep it to this kind of drink, get it done as fast as possible, put an effervescent in it because it activates alcohol differently and take the soda out. Mm-hmm. Right, like let's, let's like clean things up. Like we're very realistic of how we approach certain things. Yeah. Absolutely, you can't rewire DNA overnight, but you can no. get better options for the time frame. Well, and again, we don't want to mess with the psychology yeah. too much. In this case, Henry was so good with that. He's like, yeah. "All right, cool, let's clean it up. I'm not going to drink until yeah. after this shirtless scene." Which Michael hasn't always had that kind of yeah. like cooperation. Henry's an with unusually compliant. Like he's on board with it. So yeah. even though he lives, uh, you know, a lifestyle like anybody would, isn't that right? Man, when it is time to dial it in, there's yeah. almost, uh, you can just count on him. Like he was very dependable. If I tell him he needs to do this, he would do it. And that, yeah. that is something that you can't overstate the importance of. And, and that, I think if people want to diet to work, do what you said you were going to do. Like eat how you said you wanted to eat and you'll get a result from it. It might yeah. not be the result you want, but you'll get a a result from it. it. Like you said, with the keto thing and the one week thing, it just right. doesn't work. The other hard part that we showed up to London with was Henry hadn't been training. Yeah. Um, 
you know, for the same reason he was doing some PR work for his last movie, which Michael was, was on, but the movie was delayed. And so the PR work came a little bit later, but we had to basically go through the whole um, inflammation from not being able to handle the training volume. Mm. So we're giving him calories. He's storing water. He has to, he has to get in shape again, you know, like physically he has to be able to handle and tolerate the workload of the project. That's another thing I think people get wrong is like, where they're like, okay, lifestyle, lifestyle change. They try to do everything at once. And the body goes, like, Uh man, you start training twice a day, eating kale and dust. Your body does no idea what's going on. And so it shuts down because it's like in a, a what the fuck mode. And so instead, like our, it takes longer. I'm not going to lie. We're like, this is not the fastest road, but Change your diet first. Start incorporating, see how that food makes you feel Mm -hmm. and really adjust to that. And then start walking, right? And then maybe add a jog once a week and then two jogs. And then maybe go to a group session and then maybe change your diet again before you change any of that. And then maybe increase. And then six months down the road, start doing some high intensity stuff. Make yourself like get those, you know, all those feel goods going and start really challenging your psychology. I don't know very many people that can go bam, 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 and then have success. It's usually bam, bam, break, done. I'm never doing it again. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, honestly, overseas, right? So we yeah. have, uh, I'll quantify them as the the meat eaters and some grass eaters. And the grass eaters on a long <laughs> deployment, they'll be like, well, I'm going to work out with these meat eaters. Yeah. And they'll go, what should we do? Some of my, my friends and whatnot, they're like, we'll just jump in the workout. I'm like, no, how about you just walk on that treadmill yeah. yeah, and then incline that treadmill and then hold these five pound weights yeah. and then realize that abs are created by and large in the kitchen yeah. and we'll yeah. kind of tune that thing up. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and it's a slow process, but if you yeah. do it to the point where you can actually stick to it, then you can be successful, yeah. yeah. you know, but it's not going to be overnight Superman. I mean, imagine somebody coming in today for the session that you did who has never trained before. You're like, that's a nightmare. You're talking about injury prone. You're talking about, yeah. hey, it's just not an experience that you want to do. It's so traumatic that you're never going to want to do it again. Yep. But if you incite somebody and show them some positive benefits of the reaction from diet, you show them that, hey, man, if you eat correctly, you actually feel better. Or like, if you get to the benefits of ketosis, man, I feel clear-headed. I can solve problems That's better. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good state. I had this moment <clears throat> when I was getting the fasting thing really weird or really deep. And I pushed it too far. Mm-hmm. I don't say too far, but I would have markers. So I used to live in Colorado and read the incline, right? The incline's this... Yeah. You know, it is mm-hmm. a mile long, steep, <laughs> 2,000 feet elevation gain. And you knew your time. You know, like a sub 30 was was kind of the goal. Yeah. You know, okay. now keep in mind the record is 17. Sure. It's, it's like some Ethiopian dude that sprinted up it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's a buddy of mine that went to the Air Force Academy. Oh. It's like one of his teammates on a yeah. pentathlon uh, team. Yeah. Maybe okay. not today. This yeah. is years ago. But I fasted for 48 hours mm-hmm. and then did two of them back to back with the bar trail on the backside <laughs> just to see if I could, yeah, like yeah. to see what was left in the tank. It was awesome. I felt great. I finished it. And then I went then, down. Oh. Mm, I ate a lot of food and then yeah. I went into just calorie coma. That was it. Nice. Had night night. But this this exploration, I think, is missing in most people. It's like, what can I, the, the question of what can I tolerate? What can I handle? That, that should be, you know. With enough training and preparation, you should start being able to answer some of those questions. Like, how long can I go without food? Yeah. Nobody that you're going in a, you know, 90% of the population does not know the answer to that question. Team guys generally do, sure. right? They're like, I can go this long without this much food and before then I'm done. Yeah, before I start really yeah. freaking out. Well, I like to stay kind of curious about the subject because you, yeah. you figure out what 
what you're made of. What can yeah. you do? Where's your wall? Yeah. I know I know some of my markers. I know when I get dehydrated, I get a headache. I, yeah. I screwed up. I screwed up yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and a lot of people, even my kiddos and whatnot, I try to tell them it takes 24 hours to saturate a cell. It's not like drink a bunch of water exactly, before you yeah, run. Yeah. It's, you know, take care of yourself consistently throughout the week. And yeah. most people are court low and then they don't perform. And then they show up at the gym and they do the workout we did this morning. And they're like, fuck this. Wait a minute. Yeah. Again. <laughs> um, or, you know, in some cultures, it's even worse because you're like, you know, th- this is where it gets, how much damage is going on when, you know, cadets are going out and drinking on the weekends and showing up for camp or like doing oh. training in the morning. You're like dehydrated, hung over, and you're just like yes. over yes. and over and over again. You're like, man, it's really not good for the system. But worse than that, it's not teaching you the reality of it because a young body can keep up with the damage quite a bit. I lived through that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Best best PT test I ever had, I was hung over. <laughs> I didn't even go to sleep. I was still drunk, you know, just running around. That's insane. I compete with people that drink the night before, stay up all night. And I'm like, how, like, I'm keeping up with you. And I went to bed at eight. Like, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I I think you just, you just become more sensitive. And that's a big part of our practice is just sensitivity. Like how do, how can we become more sensitive to how our body is responding from the environment, people that we bring in, activities that we do, movements that we like, movements that we don't like and how can I tune this thing so I can get the most longevity out of it? For sure. That, that is, that should always be the goal because yeah. a qual, a quality thing that doesn't last isn't quality, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, if I can be fit in six months, but not in 10 years, that's not the right answer for me right now. And it sucks because man, everybody wants to just get some results. Um, and I think this is the payoff that I've noticed. I mean, she, she can elaborate on the story is like, um, you know, how useful is fitness? How useful are any of these subjects? You're like, it seems so superfluous in, in a world where we have mortgages to pay and jobs that are going away. And the world is changing drastically. And you look at something like fitness and you're like, well, now I don't have time for that because I have to figure out life stuff. And you're like, there is life stuff. It, mm-hmm. The training that we do when it's rooted in like a deep psychological, spiritual practice becomes the answer for kind of any hardship. And this is, um, you know, our, our physical practice has changed quite a bit in the last year since uh, our daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've always been highly active, but when something traumatic like that happens, you tend to deal with it physically, mm-hmm. right? Like I, man, I've processed emotions physically for last 25 years, right? Something irritates me, I get on a bike. If I'm feeling frustrated, go for a run. Mm-hmm. If I want to um, not work my job anymore, I go slam weights, right? Like I just, I have a physical practice that helps release this kind of pent up energy. When something traumatic like this happens and you're older and you can't, you know, you can't tolerate the abuse. Yeah. Physically. You got to find something different. And I mean, for us last year, we we started, I mean, we I've always been around guns and shooting and been interested in it and, you know, at least proficient, but not how I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Not like how the other guys we hang out with. Like we, you know, my business partners, an IPSC shooter. And, you know, he taught some stuff and all the people that come into our space, they're pretty proficient shooters. And something came up after London passed and Aaron decided to get into shooting. And it was like remarkable for her to apply our concepts into that. And she can talk about what she thought was useful. Because I think from the perspective of what it's like 
as somebody who's physically capable to pick up a new skill and mm-hmm. use it to heal themselves is kind of remarkable. I used guns to heal myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, not to delve too deep, but obviously you had a, a immense loss yeah. a year ago. Yeah. and it, Seven months ago. Wow, even closer. Um, it, this was so weird because the that whole time, well, and we're still kind of in shock about the subject, but... Mm. Uh, this guy showed up and I can't mention his name because he still works doing what he's doing. Um, but he showed up, came, he's he's come to a couple of symposiums. He's he's in our circle. Mm-hmm. Um, came to London's funeral. And I don't I don't remember him at London's funeral, but he showed up a couple of weeks later at our space and he's like, I'm here. I'm here to teach you how to use a firearm. And I'm like, what? I got stuff to do. Like, why are you here? And he's like, yeah, I'm here to like show you how to use a firearm. And I'm like, why is this happening to me right now? Like, is this what I need to be doing? Like, what is the lesson here? And I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? And he's like, all right, we're going to do nine hours today. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have time for this. And like, as we dove into it and I'm like, this is so methodical. I need this. And so I like dove pretty deep into it. And he stayed, he stayed for a week, left for a couple of weeks, came back. And like, we're doing these extensive training courses. And I realized like, I can't physically demolish my body right now. Like I don't have it in me. I start to work out my, you know, still doing some things obviously, right. but started to work out and my heart rate would just be VO2 max. You know, I'm, I'm going 400 calories per hour on the bike and I just, I couldn't do it. My CNS system was taxed. Um, but picking up a gun and being able to like be so clear where I, I really can't focus on anything else except, you know, what to do next. How do I stay safe? Like, how do I manipulate this weapon so that everyone around me is safe? It just, it became something that I didn't think that I needed, but. Well, I've always taught my students. So I ran a selection for a while. Yeah. And it's mastery of the basics under stress. But until you get those basics, mm-hmm. the stress is learning the basics. Yeah, you know, and it's and stressful. It. And I also <laughs> equate it to archery or, or jujitsu mm-hmm. is a good mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you're trying not to get strangled, you don't really have a whole lot of time or effort or ability to think about, you know, your taxes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So to take a big stress in life and to take on a new skill set that requires, you know, all yeah. that mm-hmm. headspace, it can almost become like... Your therapy, it could become yeah. a meditation. I mean, it's that's awesome. And I that's didn't, amazing. I didn't realize that it was going to be that. And the cool thing is, is like we're connected with Black Rifle Coffee. We're yeah. just right across the freeway. Yeah. And you know, all of a sudden, I had all of these people, oh. you know, in my network that were like, "Oh, Aaron's learning, you know, to shoot a firearm. Like, I want to help." And it's like I'm being connected with these people that not only are the best at what they do, but they've also had extreme loss as well. And I'm like, okay, now I'm connecting to people that aren't just like, bro, let's go work out. What's your back squat PR? And it's like, wow, I'm being opened up to a whole new network of people that like, now I can think on this level. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit, you know, more relatable in my space. It's been kind of, it's been kind of cool to transition to that. Not saying I'm done with CrossFit because I'm not, um, I haven't pushed that button quite yet, but it's been fun to compete in things like tactical games and just go and get like demolished. I The girl that I went with um, in March, which I signed up for the competition before my daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep it on the calendar. We're going to see what happens. 
And the girl that I uh, teamed up with, which I also can't talk about what she does, um, she's a fairly good shooter. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be perfect. She's she's really fit. She's a good shooter. She's a sniper. Um, we're going to crush it. And it just, man, I was so stressed leading up to that. I'm like, I don't want to go to that dark place that you have to go to when you compete because I'm already in a dark place. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go, f- I, what's past this dark space? You know, I don't, I don't want to find out. Um, and we went and it ended up being fun because I don't know my numbers. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know how fast I can shoot a gun while I'm doing all this other stuff because I've never done it before. There's no PR the first time. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're setting the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we walked into this competition. We're the only female team. And you they're win. like, we don't, we don't know how to score you. Yeah. You just have to use all the guy weights. We're throwing you in with the guys. And we're like, fuck. Um, we came in seventh place. Nice. Yeah. Well, That's out of awesome. 40 teams of men. That is, which is pretty good. And uh, my shooting was, it was so bad. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just so bad. There's well, just room to improve. You was know it what? Pistol carbine. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. yeah. And I kind of blame Kirk Homer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's no, been please, so helpful. Please, yeah. um, but he's like, yeah, you don't really need like, you know, you don't need a bunch of stuff. Just come with your rifle. And so we didn't bring a freaking optic. Yeah. yeah, we just had a red dot. And okay. it, the distance was just a little bit too far away. Yeah, like, yeah we what couldn't can get it? onto target quickly. What was the farthest distance? I mean, one, farthest 200 meters. 200. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of the mid-range, like the one, it, it's one of the problems is it is precision shooting. Like it's not a silhouette, right? It's not like a, a big target. A lot of them are like six inch triangles and stuff. Top of the can. And I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be joking me. Like, it just I'm needed actually, a little bit of range. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to go down to Bend. I was supposed oh, yeah. to go to Ohio We're going to be there. Ohio. Yeah, we'll be yeah. there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It'd be super cool. Yeah. So that'll be the first one that I'll see. Perfect. Cool. I might jump in. I don't do know. It. Yeah, just do it. I, I'm not registered, but I, that was the top. I'm not either, but I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to go suck. I, I See, good. here's the thing. We'll right if you have, you know, a comprehensive, you have a general fitness and you have familiarity with uh, firearms, the only thing that will matter is like tuning your gear up, right? Yeah. Everything else is just, you are where you're at. I think it's a phenomenal measuring stick to uh, like a really good capability Test, 100%. Right? Well, I think, I think it's, we've taken, we've found a sport that basically can mimic real world combat yeah. and made it fun. I mean, yeah. it is fun. It's running, For throwing sure. things yeah. around, you're getting your heart rate up yep. and then you have to have that ability to focus, control your stress, execute, yep. you know, your shot. Um, yeah. That's, that's my wheelhouse. Which fun. I didn't realize was so hard. Oh, yeah. Calming yeah. down after a run yeah. to just steady and shoot from a standing position. Well, and there's so much yeah. shooting left movement hand. with the support hand, too. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the things. You yeah. know, people are really gripping and they yeah. mash the trigger. Yeah. yeah. This weird yeah. thing with the other Dumping hand. all like my broke shots. broke my wrist yeah. just, like, gripping my gun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was... It was so fun though. And that's, I never have fun in competition. I don't know why I keep doing it. I fucking hate it. I I don't like it um, until after or until I win. And then I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm going to do this again. But I'm never like, you know, smiling while I'm doing a run, which is- You find people like that. You know, just uh, reading or I can't remember what the source was about Mike Tyson. Like he would throw up before- Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like just these gnarly athletes that you think, of course they're coming in. They probably had a great night. He's a world champion. He's the best on the planet. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple of those that they hate it. 
but they yeah. keep 100%. doing it. And it's really interesting talking about this. So you get something out of it. I mean, the big, you know? big stages are so phenomenally different. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is one of the things, again, it's a psychological issue. You have all the physical preparation. Like you wouldn't show up to compete unless you thought that there was a chance right. that you could win. And so, especially for CrossFit tournaments, you, you have to qualify. You have to qualify. Yeah. And so you're like, <clears throat> thousands of people deep into a top 40 just to enter into the arena. Mm-hmm. And so you're already, you've already proven quite a bit by just showing up on the floor, right? You, you, it is so hard to, I think it's harder to qualify than to actually, for me. So, uh, not for me. No, but some people are good at qualifying because the, the stage isn't there, right? Yeah. And they can redo it. They can go when they feel good. And I'm kind of the opposite. Like when the lights turn on and there's a big crowd, I have some, uh, that's my wheelhouse. Yeah. But if I oh, I overthink things, I have a hard time qualifying for things because like oh, okay, I got to redo it. Oh no, I got to. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I psych myself out by overthinking. She's the opposite. We're the exact opposites. But there's something I'm really a game in- planner. Yeah, for sure. There, there's something when you show up on the day and there's you know a couple thousand people that are viewing you and you're like, man, you either shut down, vomit, hide. Uh, botch your performance, get mm-hmm. taken out of your thing. There's something so important about going through that process of performing when you're supposed to perform or cool. doing the thing that you said you would do. Yeah, yeah. So we would call it performance on demand. Yeah. yeah. When Evan and I would shoot, it's like, you. Ha- I have to be able to do it off yeah. the couch. If I yeah. say I can do it, if I yeah. teach it, if it's, you know, required skill set for yeah. just life-saving and gunfighting, performance on demand. Yeah. 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 This is one of the problems with um, with gym culture that we find all the time. It's like, man, I uh, you know I have a PR five hundred pound deadlift. That was like ten years ago. It doesn't count anymore. That yeah, the, the, it doesn't count the day after I'm done. It, it was <laughs> yeah. It's useful to know that I can do it, but on the day, what what we're trying to train into people most of the time is knowing what you can do on the day so that you don't hurt yourself, mm-hmm. right? So you don't put yourself in a bad position. Training is supposed to put you in a position so you can recover and become better from it. Improvement is the idea, not testing and burning the house down. Mm-hmm. So a lot of gym culture, I find, is revving the engine as much as possible, but never actually putting the tires on the ground. Right. And so that's why we're proponents of competing. It doesn't matter really what it is. Right. Yeah. You just need a day where you have to be prepared so that all of your stuff makes sense. It, mm-hmm. it kind of collapses and aligns my nutrition, my training, my recovery, my lifestyle, my thought process, and puts it in alignment for a day that it should hopefully line up for. Because aesthetics aren't enough right. when it comes down to it. Like you're going to break your diet because you think you care about abs, but you really don't when that pizza comes to your table and all of your friends are eating pizza. It doesn't matter. But if you have to wake up early and go and do, a competition, you're probably going to watch what you eat. Might put something a little bit cleaner in your system. Yeah. I mean, you could go deeper than that even. And you're like, abs don't matter in the face of like experiences that you'll never forget, mm-hmm. right? Like um, yeah. there's not one piece of cake that I'll forget that I had with London because she's not here to enjoy that anymore. And I'm like, right. at the time it's I was cake. bitching about like, oh, fuck, this is going to like throw, God, I'm going to feel like, you know, yep. fat after this or whatever. Know this exact conversation, my kids are like, dad, stop doing your diet. I'm like, it's not a diet. It's a way of eating, number one. Number two, they're like, just have ice cream. Like, I'll have Bingo. Ice cream. That's yeah. what I do, yeah. So that's what we got into. Like yeah. we find the thing that you can have an experience in that that's, that's priceless, yeah. right? Absolutely. And you're not getting away with anything. You've just yeah. found something that is less 
it doesn't take away from what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I actually have a really good keto recipe I'll send you. Yeah. For cupcakes. Do. Ooh. They're really good. <laughs> okay. Speaking of cheap yeah. foods or whatnot. Cheap foods, which I, I yeah. hate using that term. Um, well, yeah. speaking of foods. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Author of books that I wanted to check out. I wanted to talk Ooh. about this. Yeah, okay. let's talk about that first. I want you to talk about this. I saw it pop out the other day. Uh, yeah. So this is... Uh, well, this is passion. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. This is poison. Um, so my business partner, Mark, was involved in... Um, we've been involved in nonprofit together. We started together. He was my mentor when I worked for him. Uh, he started Jim Jones. He's, you know, responsible for a lot... I mean, his... He has one of the craziest life stories I could think. He's been involved in everything. Yeah. Like we the, don't even know it all. Yeah, every once in a while, something will come up. Like, you were in a movie? And he was like, yeah, he was the he was the star in a French action movie, like the lead role. And you're like, what in the fuck, man? That's He's had great. a crazy life. But um, this particular book that we've uh, put out, it's his writing. Um, we help, I helped design it um, as part of the business. This is a collection of essays that he wrote at the time when uh, we were both working at Jim Jones and on these jobs, uh, these movie jobs that we we're doing together. And uh, it's called Sermons on Suffering because it's essentially um, a collection of sermons that would be released once a week on a private for pay site. Um, once a week for, I think it was almost seven years. Uh, and they're really powerful. They, you know, at the time when I was working for them, um, we would train together. We would train clients together. We'd be in other countries all over the world. And I would know on Sunday he would write these things and I would wake up at Monday morning like, man, I got to like, what did he write about? Because we'd have conversations and then they would pop up in the writing. So it was, it was a really interesting way for me as like a student to see what the master would think about all of our work and put into a digestible 500 word essay or something mm-hmm. that, I mean, were kind of viral. They're, they're very powerful in the way that they motivate, um, articulate, and kind of also denigrate like what is happening in 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 your psychology and in your physical practice. So very cool. Anything from training philosophy, it covers kind of like all grounds. Relationships. Yeah, a lot of this is. Yeah. yeah, a lot of this is. You know, uh, to be honest, a lot of it is a big fuck you to like a system that we're all involved in that we're all frustrated with. That doesn't feel like it's real. It doesn't feel like this is natural, mm-hmm. right? Like I, the whole system, everything involved, all of the bureaucracies, all of in you know, there, there's there's not much more respect I can have for military personnel. That does not make me thankful for politicians or government bureaucracy or all of these things. And a lot of this is understanding what it would be like to be a company man in that Mm -hmm. issue or a company man in a company that does the same thing, but takes advantage of people. And I think a lot of these frustrations in the writings comes out in physical practice. And this book is the only one like it for sure. Um, I don't know anything else like it. You had me at the title. I saw it pop up the other day and then I clicked through and I was like, hmm, sermons on suffering. I self-admit. I'm in. I think I exude so much control over like diet, exercise, everything I can because everything else is out of control in life. Sure. So I'm super Uh, pumped to get that. That actually might be, you know, a good way to put it actually. Like um, a big part of Mark's philosophy when he was, he was, you know, traditionally a professional alpinist for 20 years. 
Uh, control the things that you can control was one mm-hmm. of the tenets. Uh, the other one being light is right. Yeah. You know, a, a testament to pretty much all the philosophical things that we try to incorporate now, mm. right? It, 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 it's just, it's deep seated and it came from him. It came from trying to stay alive in the mountains right. and then to teach other military professionals, other athletes, how to stay alive in the wild. And, um, and then to us who are just people trying to stay alive in culture. And I think that, I don't think people think how, they don't realize how hard it is to not just stay alive as in being and existing, but how to stay alive in living. Like mm-hmm. that is a very- And stay authentic, your authentic yeah. self. Yeah. I love that actually. So a lot of those phrases that you just mentioned <laughs> from doing pararescue things, mm. I'm very familiar with them, but I've never really found the through line to life. I just, you know, implying or applying that into regular life, but that's super awesome perspective. Yeah. Like I know it by practice. Why doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, and how, why, why are people not writing about this? Like why it's so, you know, I found Mark because I was in a very lost adolescence between I was, you know, doing photography and makeup and hair at the time mm-hmm. and doing MMA, Muay Thai and jujitsu, just fighting for, just because I needed to get something out. I just, mm-hmm. the physical culture really saved me because it was a release, but I was still so lost. And I, uh, I remember the jujitsu guys in my um, gym were, were like, oh man, have you heard of this place? Like this guy, Mark Twight, he's like training some jujitsu guys who are now my coaches still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, no, I haven't heard whatever. Like, I don't give a shit. I've I, like punched things because I'm frustrated, not because, you know. Uh, and so they pulled up a screen and I noticed the photography. I'm like, oh, the guy knows what he's doing around a camera because I was doing it professionally at the time. You just recognize it. Like, oh, that guy's a professional. Yeah. And I'm like, that's weird in gym culture that somebody would be an artistic professional photographer. Mm-hmm. And as I like, read one mm-hmm. article and I was like, what the fuck, man? I was like, this guy is speaking about things differently than I've ever heard. This is not, you, you see a Nike ad of some like lady that's like, you know, that's not fucking real. <laughs> you haven't captured real. shit. This, you, this is a facsimile of effort. This isn't real. And you read the, you know, and I'll harp on some of the, even the modern, like, you know, go get them, like kill yourself to do physical things because I think it's fake too. I think mm-hmm. it's like teaching people to hurt themselves in order to be capable is not respectable. Um, teaching somebody how to take care of themselves despite all of the frustrations with life. that That's a skill. And he had it immediately. And I just like changed my life to be around it. You know, awesome. I like moved across the country so I could be like, who's this guy? Yeah. You know, like, well, how I can I- be around you. Yeah. And yeah. I, fuck that job that was paying me $150,000 a year. That was gone almost yeah. immediately. I did not care for one second. I was like, can I sweep your floors and clean kettlebells? And like, you can tell me what to do. And that's kind of how I got involved into it. And funny enough, this wasn't even a, this was just like a flippant idea when we were thinking about what projects we should work on. He's mm-hmm. like, well, I have all those essays. And I was like, holy shit, you have like 400 essays. And so we ended up, I think it's 140 in there or something. We edited most of them out. That's awesome. Um, and it ended up still 400 pages of essays. And we we're like, oh, it'll be a super fast project because mm-hmm. they're already written, right? <laughs> Until we started getting into it. And we had to actually, they're so potent. You like, you can only edit one a week kind of deal. Right. And so two years later, we have a book. No one asked me to edit. <laughs> half the time. Yeah. done it in half the time. That's funny. Yeah. I found myself in that same position last year. I was like, the job, the thing, no. just grenade. Blow yeah. it all up. How? Let's rebuild it. Let's figure some things out. That's interesting. And if anybody's the master at rebuilding themselves, I think it's Mark. And it's like, man, it's a, we're so thankful. We get to be around him. And that is, 
that I never thought our life would be that good to have somebody guide us through, you know, what we're doing all the time. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. And then her book. Yes. Can't talk about my book after that. (laughs) I'm all about it. I did a diet one time. (laughs) Um, Carnivore diet. This was such a weird one. So this contract sat on my my desk in my office for a little while because I was like, I don't want to do carnivore diet Mm -hmm. and I've got to do it if I'm going to write about it, because people are going to ask me questions. Um, When this contract came up, I was competing internationally in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted nothing to do with low carb. Um, And so I waited. Um, And this was what, February? No, it was the year before um, COVID hit and the pandemic kind of shut everything down. So we, Michael and I went to Australia and still hadn't done carnivore diet, a contract sitting this on my 2020, desk. This is 2020, spring 2020. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I was training for another competition. Um, we were training, we were running outside of our gym and I jumped off the curb to avoid a pedestrian that was walking because COVID. Um, and as I jumped off the curb, I rolled my ankle into a pothole Ooh. and it was, it was really bad. Like I've, I've had several ankle breaks. I've broken a lot of bones, been really hurt. I tore like all the ligaments on the top of my foot going into my outside of my ankle. Get the black line. Spraying you know? both yeah, sides. I mean, my, my yeah. foot was black. My whole foot was black. It was, it was gnarly. I was on crutches for a while. And so I thought this is the perfect time to do yeah, low carb. Diet. Yeah, <laughs> the you know, just I like, can take a break and write. Yeah, exactly. And so I did, and we got into it. And Michael and I were like, "All right, <clears throat> we're going to do this for one month." And the cool thing is, is we had Josh Goldstein mm-hmm. just moved to Salt Lake, who you know, I kind of reached out to him on social media, and he'd been doing carnivore diet for a while as a strong, like strongman style athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple people in our network that were doing carnivore diet. And so I was like, okay, I can pick it, their brains a little bit, get some information. Cause I wanted to train. Like as soon as I could train again, the way that I wanted to train, I wanted to keep training. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael and I get 30 days into the diet and then we just went another year because we felt so good. And so obviously the diet changed. We started out really strict, you know, steaks every day, a little bit of fish. We'd have like meat platters, which was amazing and meats and salts. And we feasted a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a chef by trade. And so I'm like, all right, let's do some truffle salt. Let's do some like infused geese. And so we were... We were, you know, doing our best to make the diet creative. Um, but as we started training and, and training was definitely interesting, as you probably know, on keto diet, um, you get used to keto diet and your output's not the same or your recovery is not the same. And it doesn't mean that it's not coming soon. You know, you've got to wait for that point where you're like, all right, now I feel really good in the diet. You got to get used to it. Yeah, it's definitely different. Um we modified a little bit, maybe what, six or seven months in yeah. because people started asking like, what do I do as a com- competitor? Yeah. What do mm-hmm. I do if my thyroid is this? What do I, and I'm like, oh shoot. All right. And now I've got to like research this in depth and try to figure out all of these, these dynamics that are coming my way mm-hmm. and using myself as a guinea pig you know, training, jumping on the bike when I could finally start biking, going back to that. All right, I'm hitting VO2 max very fast. Like my glycogen is depleted. You know, I'm working off of a totally different energy system right now because I I don't have any glycogen in my system. Yeah. And so, up. 
Yeah. And so we played around with fruit, mm-hmm. um, low glycemic fruit nice. and a little bit of honey mm-hmm. and adding those things back in, man, like it felt like rocket fuel. Right. Yeah. I even find it after a fast and yeah. when I eat. You're like, All of a sudden, like the vasculature yeah. comes back. You're like, oh, I'm human again. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And, and it's like, wow, I, as a competitive CrossFit athlete, you know, I've been anywhere between 270 grams of carbs to, I could handle a little bit less because I come from the endurance world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I started thinking like, man, if you pull it out and put it back in, you don't need much and you're getting the same effect, right. which is, yeah. which has been kind of, uh, you know, an eye opener in my practice because I thought, you know, athletes just throw carbs at them. Military guys just throw carbs at them. But I don't think that that's the best thing for longevity. Um, You know, it's a a consumption model. And I think that is really weird in in dieting culture, especially how uh, most, let's say traditional RDA based or, you know, most nutritionists that are like certified in a a system, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll talk about, you know, calories, they'll talk about macronutrients and they'll really try to balance things out evenly. And the practice that I've noticed from like some of the best are to very, uh, to amplify consumption, right? To get mm-hmm. an athlete to be lean on more food. They think mm-hmm. that, you know- Which for, means less nutrition a lot of the time. Yeah. so Nutrition density. Exactly. And the, the interesting part about that is like, it, it's all for one trick, which is to get the body to a point where it can be highly muscular, uh, um, muscular and- a limited amount of fat so that when you cut um, calories in order to drop fat, you have a bigger pool to pull from. You have more to drop. So it means you can do a longer cut all to the point to get to the lowest body fat percentage possible in order to do a show or whatever, maintaining as much mass as possible. But this is not athletic performance. And, and what she's talking about, like when you have, when you have to put in a lot of food, it can't be high quality nutrition because your brain satiates you and it shuts off all of, all of the satiety signals go and you're not really, you can't eat. Like this is really weird on carnivore to be clear. Like I don't, I don't recommend a specific diet for any single person. If a carnivore diet is for you, you'll know it, Mm -hmm. right? You have an, you have an attraction to it that is remarkable. Um, I didn't, I, I did it kind of grossed out. I was like, oh, people overeating me, that's gross. Right. Until I did it and then felt the reaction and was like, oh shit, I got rid of a lot of garbage foods and this really cleaned it up for me and just gave me yeah. the densest nutrition possible. And therefore I'm actually eating less and that's why I feel good. Like mm-hmm. I can eat less food less times a day and that makes me feel light. Well, I've got some buy-in. I'm already talking guys in the media department and elsewhere. I'm like, hey guys, how do you feel about 40 days carnivore? <laughs> so <laughs> just do it. The first thing that I hear people report because I, uh, since I wrote this book, I um, have a big, a bigger reach, I guess, with nutrition. Plus I have a full nutrition clientele. So Mm. I have people trying the diet out and reporting back to me. And some of them are athletes, some of them aren't. But the number one thing that people across the board, 100% of the time have said is my brain feels good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, at what point, what point does, you know, being super jacked, being super lean, lose its appeal over my brain feels good. How many people can say that their brain feels good? You know, this, not very many. This was the whole. So we, uh, you probably don't know, we didn't even mention it. We designed a beta hydroxybutyrate supplement a couple okay. of years ago, um, based on an R compound. So a, a, a chi related, uh, chi rated. Ah, can't think of the name. Anyway, uh, a, 
a reverse molecule BHB. Um, and the reason to do it, a lot of people sell these products and most of them are garbage that are out there, right? Yeah. You sell a BHB supplement. It's usually a sodium mixed with a DL salt or something. Right. And they'll mix magnesium to try to balance out the electrolyte profile in order to kick somebody into ketosis mm-hmm. um, it, for a fat loss thing. Right. Right. The exogenous ketone yeah. selling point, man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, our ketone was not that. It was actually performance based off of increasing cognitive ability first. Mm. So our push, A, the, the R molecule is way more effective. So on a DL salt, maybe if you're lucky and you have good absorption, um, and you don't have too much carbohydrate in your diet, you can get somebody to 0.3, 0.4, maybe, uh, ketones. Mm, uh, nice. On a, on a R BHB, I can get somebody to 1.2 in a half an hour Whoa. off of one 10 gram dose. So you're talking like yeah. twice as much effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Also, as opposed to the, the uh, esters, which are too strong, um, when you put an ester in somebody, you can get them to four and five but their mineral shedding really throws them out of whack. So they start shedding minerals differently. You have to add electrolytes back in. Um, the R's you don't because you can balance out osmolity through sodium, magnesium, potassium a little bit, and you can get somebody there pretty quickly. Um, the whole idea though of it being fat loss is a mistake because that's a side effect. I'm just not hungry because my brain has what it preferentially wants to yeah, run on. It's not sending that signal all day. Yeah. And I, because you can produce pyruvate 33% more effectively, you, you literally have like, man, it's a fourth macronutrient. We still make this product. We just don't really ever talk about it. Yeah. But the interesting thing about it, which I think is what you're getting on about, about the brain thing and why to do a diet is like, my whole idea was like, you could treat it like a pre-workout. It's a great pre-workout thing. So as yeah. you're saying this, a yeah. few years ago in Colorado, I found an exogenous ketone. I was excited. I'm like, wait, so I can take it and it'll fuel me, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. I'm running on ketones, or at least most of 99% of the time. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. That was my pre-workout instead cool. of pre-workout. Here's where I found it way more beneficial. Okay. Whatever your demands are cognitively in the day, use it for that. So Ooh. it's a pre-work. Got it. Right? Like. Yep. Um, and like, if you're hyper creative, like you, you know, obviously Black Rifle has so many different arms, but a lot of them are highly creative tasks mm-hmm. that need to be accomplished. Obviously there's day-to-day work that needs to get done, but even that, the cognitive ability to accomplish that task. So my way of thinking about it is like, man, if you could, if you could get your work work done faster, mm-hmm. how much more time you have for leisure lifestyle, taking care of yourself. This is a pre-work drug essentially that gets you into now I have room in my day to live, uh, you know, take care of myself, be with yeah. my family because I got all of that out of the way faster. Yeah. You're, you're, you've improved your effort or your time. Exactly. Yeah. I think that diet is the hard, more sustainable way to that. So you can't just you, take a pill. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a little confused why you didn't give this to me before. Like you I, gasped I me in the gym and then you went, you know what? I'm just going to see how jittery this dude is. <laughs> because, is. because this is real, this is a real research this is, that we're doing. So I have the before and now we can have the after yeah, effect. So it just means you have to train again and then we can see the the, the difference. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, we The other interesting thing about that drug specifically is that the more you take it, the less you need it. Oh, but your body starts to preferentially prefer these things. Mm-hmm. And now maybe if I take it once a month or something, awesome. maybe. Well, and the other thing that happens is you start to feel so good that you don't want to put things back in your system yeah. that make you feel like trash, which 
you know, that's one of the things that I realized with carnivore diet is it's an extreme elimination diet. You're taking everything out. And then when you put something back in, you're like, wow, my fingers are really swollen from eating rice. Like I'm not going to eat that anymore. So what are the things that make me feel good all the time? And then let's roll with that. Like Mm -hmm. we used to take nootropics, um, which I don't take anymore. Yeah. Just because I've cleaned up my diet so much. That's awesome. Which is cool. And I'm not perfect. None of us are. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys have coming up? What are you excited about? Trevor and I are writing a cookbook, which is pretty cool. We've got that coming up. Um, It's going to be a lot of big game. Okay. So a little, it's still going to be meat heavy, um, a little bit more variety because we're, we're both chefs. So we want to throw in a little bit more artsy stuff in there. Nice. Um, and then we have another book. It's a, it's a book from a female voice on effort, the psychology of effort from a female standpoint. That's right. We spoke about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Very Which cool. Which will be cool. Where do people find it? When do we know when it's coming out? Or it should be out this year, but yeah, probably not until November ish. Okay. Awesome. Um, the next one out will probably be, along with the other art books that we make, we also make practical applications of fitness. So we have a manual for understanding strength from our perspective. So kind of different than just the physiological, you know, general run of the mill five by five. Mm -hmm. Uh, We try to look at strength as an attribute that we want to foster, not just a number to hit. Mm -hmm. And then we have an endurance manual. Awesome. And of that series, we're now completing what should be out later this summer. It's called the capacity manual. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the... Why didn't I grab you those two? I should have. Yeah, we'll get you one before you leave. Um, That one will be next. Yeah, for sure. That'll finish that series. And then, yeah, we have the female capability book, which is called The Female God. Yeah. Um, Just going to be rad. Yeah, we have a lot of contributing. I mean, we have professional athletes. We have... um, you know, the tactical professional females yeah. that are contributing yeah. anonymously, talking about their perspective of working in a male dominant field. We um, put that one in last. That yeah. was our last section because I'm like, all right, we're doing this for fun. Yeah. Yeah. But here's this girl, one of my training partners, like she has to be fit to stay alive. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's different. different. Yeah. yeah. We need to add totally that in. Different. So awesome. we really wanted to capture a, Man, to really undo the misconceptions with female training, which is popular today. You hop on Instagram, you think females train with rubber bands, right? Yeah, and I do. and their kidding. pants are more important than, you know, whatever, like whatever booty shorts are the more important aspect of training than the actual feature of training. And we just wanted to compliment. It's not that you can't look good and look, you know, like a feminine, capable, whatever, um, and, and train correctly. It's just like people should know that Man, females train hard. Yeah. They go hard. So that's, that's kind of what the... Yeah. Oh, nice, perfect. So that's kind of what the book is supposed to capture is like this, you know, going into endurance groups of females, how they train, uh, CrossFit groups of females, how they train, tactical professionals, and really trying to see like, man, this is the real culture. Yeah, absolutely. And if you really want to be capable, you should probably listen to these ladies about how they're working. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm super pumped you guys came on. Thank you. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys being open about everything that's going on with you sure. and all yeah. your recovery and everything. Thanks. And that was awesome. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can we say one more thing? Yes. Yeah. Um, I answer quite a few nutrition questions on my Instagram and I'm okay. connected with Black Rifle, uh, Shut Up Eat. And so if you have an interesting question, no weird stuff. 
<laughs> I would love to try to answer it. Like that's how I learned. You it. just you awesome. just ask for weird stuff. I know. <laughs> no weird stuff. All right, that's it. Thank you guys yeah. so much. Thank Thanks. you, man. Appreciate it. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!